beautifying your body, caring for your body, evoking the greatest strength of which it is capable as a way to honor your creator is a spiritual practice. You know, your breakfast is a spiritual practice. Your workout is a spiritual practice. It's just as spiritual, which is a word I don't even really love, as is meditation, as, as is prayer. It's the same. That's really, that's the warrior's way to build this thing as a way to honor the creator. Welcome to Crazy Wisdom. I'm your host, Luke Antrup. Crazy Wisdom is our show about the wild, the unexpected and interesting places we find ourselves in during our quest to live a life of deeper meaning and deeper truth. My hope is with each conversation and each story, you discover a new part of yourself on your journey towards making the most out of this one wild and precious life. This is a Soulfire production. Hello, everyone. Before we dive into this interview with Michael Holt, I have an announcement. We are thrilled to open up enrollment for our next Rite of Passage program for boys and their father figures. If the boys in your life are looking for a place to have a meaningful Rite of Passage experience and some time connecting to their dads or those that are father figures for them, we have an event coming to Colorado, Estes Park, Colorado, September 29th through October 1st. This is called the Father-Son Connection Experience. And this is a nature-based retreat for boys ages 10 to 14. And this is to help mark the passage from childhood into adolescence. And we'll do a lot of really deep work. We'll spend a lot of time in nature, a lot of time cultivating the relationship between father and son. This can be a very powerful and meaningful experience, not just for the boys, but for the dads. We'll have a collection of really amazing fathers there to help support this process and really just an opportunity to have a deep experience of nature, of helping the boys identify the type of man they want to become. A lot of practices, warrior practices, martial arts, and maybe we'll even jump into some cold water. So head on over to my website, fathersonconnection.com, and we'll throw links to this event in the show notes. All right, here is my interview with Michael Holt. Well, welcome to this episode of Crazy Wisdom. I am thrilled to be joined by Michael Holt this week. Michael is a holistic health expert. He's a masculine vitality specialist and the founder of Savage and Saint Consultancy, where he serves elite performers in cultivating vitality, consciousness, and performance excellence. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks, bro. Great to be here. Thrilled to have you. I've been wanting to get you on the show for a while. You know, I think maybe a good place to start is what is masculine vitality? Let's just talk about this, this body of work that you're moving out into the world. I should absolutely have a soundbite prepared for what masculine vitality is, but I do not. <laughs> so I'm just going to continue to shoot from the hip every time somebody asks me. That's it's, the spirit it, of this show, yeah. It's so. basically, I mean, it's um, it's deeper than fitness, and it's deeper than meditative or uh, contemplative practice skill set. It is the capacity to regulate your own emotions, to be virile and sexually healthy, to be strong, to be cognitively sharp, to be on point. It's like it's this feeling state of being. Um, 
engaged in something that you find to be meaningful and having more than enough energy to see it through. It's basically the opposite of what is the normal state of the average man in this country, which is overweight, overworked, under-energized, overwhelmed, breathing through your mouth and half dead. Masculine vitality is being fully alive and strong. Mm, All right. Wonderful. So you embody this in a way that is so distinct and unique. Maybe we could also start with where we met. I have a sense that I know you in a way that other people maybe don't quite know you, right? And perhaps you'd like to share with this audience a bit about where we met. Well, we were introduced to one another as participants, members in a men's group that was organized by our mutual friend, John Wineland. Um, And there was, when was that, Luke? I guess it would have been about a year and a half or two years ago. Yeah, yeah, about yeah, maybe two, possibly three years ago. Yeah, damn, th- three years, time flies. But yeah, so we'd set the commitment to show up to a, a monthly meeting, and over the course of the time that we were in the group together, we were very honest. You know, all the men in the group were honest about their aspirations, their struggles, their challenges, their uh, you know their truth. And you know, you you mentioned that you probably know me in in a way that's different than most people do, and that's true because we met in a container where we were free to really be ourselves like really Mm -hmm. yeah what's i'm so curious what the role like what is the role of men's work in your life i mean this is how we kind of came together and got to know each other and just curious like how that's shown up in your life either in the past or what's the role of it today just curious about your point of view on men's work well i think it's an indispensable resource that a man can leverage to optimize you know all arenas of his life Mm -hmm. primarily through two uh, two facts that you encounter in men's work. Number one is when you're summoned the courage to be transparent about what it is that you're struggling with, you find out. And when you surround yourself with other men that are courageous enough to be transparent about their struggles, you realize that your struggles are mostly universal, that there's nothing really wrong with you, that you're not the one person who can't get it figured out. Or it's like, we all go through it. And there's, there's a levity. There's just like a, a sigh of relief. Your problems don't go away. At least you're like, oh, everyone deals with this, whatever it may be. It could be with your relationship. It could be with your business. It could be with your own relationship about yourself. And then the other, the other thing that I think is the real utility of men's work is accountability. You know, I'm a disciplined individual. I have a capacity to get things done. I hold myself to a high standard. But all of that gets kicked into another gear when I tell a group of guys that I'm going to do something and I know that they're going to check on me for it. Mm-hmm. So it's like that accountability factor is, I think, the hallmark of men's work. It's like, say say you're going to do something and surround yourself with some guys who are going to make sure that you do it and not, That's right. and not accept your excuses for not getting it done. That's right. Yeah. There's a, there's a certain heat that can get turned up when men hold each other accountable, right? That, that the, we know that they're not going to let us play small or sell ourselves short or fail at following through on our word and um, that's a that's a really deep form of brotherhood is to to look deeper past you know a brother's excuses and make sure that it's not just that he said what he's he's doing what he said he would do but that there's a deeper examination behind uh, why he's making that commitment and what his his motivation and if he does fail at a commitment helping him really understand where that failure came from yeah. Sure. Yeah. And also sometimes, you know, in the circle, a guy will make a commitment and the group will say, actually, that feels off. 
That's not even that's the right. direction you should be heading in. So that's right. the other component is the feedback piece, the critical feedback mm-hmm. piece. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, it's such a treasure to have men in your life who are sensitive enough to really see you and feel you at a mm-hmm. deeper level and like really at a level that most people don't see or feel. And so that sensitivity is critical, but then to have the balls to offer critical feedback, you know, to mm-hmm. say, to see where you're falling short and to have the courage to tell you, because that just doesn't really exist in polite society, critical feedback, <laughs> you know, and it is, it's not offered as an insult. It's offered as a gift. Hey, here's what I see in you. Here's actually what everybody sees in you. But no one tells you because there's, we just don't do that in culture. But here's right. what you need to know about you. It's like, whoa. Okay, that's news to me. Thank you for that. And now you right. can see yourself a little differently. Yeah, that's right. David Data writes about the masculine grows through challenge or criticism, right? And the feminine grows through praise. Yeah. And there's something about men challenging each other, men like holding each other to account that has this distinct quality that is a necessary part of my own personal growth is just being around men who I know are going to challenge me. They're going to challenge my assumptions. They're going to challenge my motivation. They're going to challenge my commitments and make sure that I am leveling up my consciousness and my impact in the world. And for me, that's the, that is the most fundamental part of men's work. Me too. hundred percent. Great. So you, you know, as you introduced yourself, you, to this audience, to the crazy wisdom audience, you mentioned you know, you, you're a fairly disciplined human. I would say you're, <laughs> you are one of the most disciplined men that I know. And I think that maybe might be a good place to start with this conversation about masculine vitality, right? There's a sense of um, discipline that's necessary if we want to live a vital life. Yes. And I'd just be curious to hear your point of view around the role of discipline and how does that what are the what are the ways to think about cultivating discipline in one's life? Well, I think to set reasonable goals and reasonable standards at the outset. And mm-hmm. in this men's course that I've developed and I'm offering masculine vitality, I've structured it over the course of 12 weeks because I've found in my private consulting work that if you ask an individual to do too much too soon and they have to they have to jump through a million hoops to have a successful day, They can white knuckle it for a little while and get it done, but sooner or later, what's being demanded of them exceeds the energy that they have to give and they start to fail and they start to just say, you know what, forget it. So to cultivate discipline, I feel like the number one thing is to start small, to give yourself some wins, to say, okay, I know I have a lot of stuff that I have to change, but I can't change all of it. I can change one thing. So let me focus on this for a week or two and start to get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. There's really no secret with discipline. People want to talk about hacking discipline or you just really have to check your nuts and get it done. Mm -hmm. And what happens, especially with regard to cultivating vitality, health, energy, I find that chapter one of growth is to cultivate the discipline, to do the thing that you don't want to do, to do the hard thing, to basically drag yourself against your own will into the things that are best for you, but you don't want to do them. But as, as you continue that way for a period of time, you start to really reap the benefits of specific lifestyle practices. For example, breath work, uh, hot, cold exposure, meditation, eating well, sleeping well. And then you can start to just surrender discipline. There's There's no drill sergeant required. Discipline 
matures and blossoms into harmony. When the thing that you want to do and the thing that's best for you are the same thing. And when you arrive at that place, it's just so easy. It's easier to do the healthy things than it is to not do them. But to get there, I think for most men, we have to start at chapter one, cultivate the discipline. But then you will encounter a population of men who I've been, and I still am in some sense, where actually now you're at the point where the true edge for you is to start to surrender your discipline, to stop being, stop pushing yourself to give up, actually, to surrender. Mm, yeah. Yeah. There can be a, at times there can be a, so what I hear you say is that there's a momentum that needs to happen, right? There's a yeah. momentum that needs to build. We start this by small actions, repeatable actions on a daily, and we build and we layer until we find ourselves in a, in a much more disciplined lifestyle. And then at some point it can be, there can be a hyper rigidity to that, right? That, yes. that actually is in some ways working against us. And I, <laughs> I know a few things about this as well, right? Like there's a, you know, there's a, a way in which our practices can actually be a crutch or our, you know, we, we, we actually are working against the concept of vitality through a hyper-disciplined rigidity. Yeah, yeah, it becomes like a spiritual OCD. Mm-hmm. You have to do all these things. And I've, I've encountered this and I still do, honestly. Yeah. But the mentality is I have to do all of these things so that I can what be present so that i can be here and then it starts to occur to you that oh i can just what i'm after is a state and the state is available always and only right here right now regardless of whether i lit the incense this morning or got in the cold tub or whatever it's always <laughs> right now so then you start to look at these 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 rituals that were once like uh you, you approach them very militaristically and they can start to be let go of mm-hmm. yeah that's wonderful what are so you're starting to name some of these ingredients, or I think I know as I was looking at some of your work, maybe these like competencies, I think is what you call them, right? There's certain kind of pillars around vitality. And I'd love to hear from you if you're open to sharing just a bit of the, the pillars that you work when in cultivating vitality. Yeah? Sure. So from a top view, in my perspective, the the pillars that one should be paying due diligence to on a daily basis are arranged in a hierarchy of their uh, uh, importance for your survival. So number one is consciousness. So the quality of your mind, Hmm. the quality of your attention, uh, your capacity or lack thereof to concentrate, to direct the mind to a specific meditative object or project and have it abide there like a well-trained dog. That is foundational because if you get that, then you can you know, the rest comes very easy. It's like sharpening the axe when you're going to go chop down trees. I think there's an Abraham Lincoln quote. If you give me an hour to chop down trees, I'll spend 45 minutes sharpening the axe. So mm-hmm. sharpening the axe of your mind, your mind is the, uh, the common denominator in everything that you're going to do. So it's, it's uh, wise to spend time training your mind. So, and when you establish strong meditative concentration, you can intentionally relax. You can intentionally upregulate your nervous system. You can intentionally generate positivity. You can weed out. And f- firstly, you can actually see for maybe the first time patterns or schemas of habitual thoughts and beliefs that are painting your perspective of reality that aren't actually there. And you can start mm-hmm. to identify them and uproot them and replace them with more skillful perspectives. 
I mean, the, the practice of establishing concentration, of counting your breath from one to eight and eight to one is the most simple, basic thing you can ever do, but it will dramatically change your life if you can learn how to do that. Here, here. There's yeah. far-reaching effects if you can learn how to concentrate. So that's priority number one. And in some way, you could look at this 12-week course as a meditation course with <laughs> lifestyle interventions, because for me, meditation is the most important thing. Um, yep. So over the course of 12 weeks, there's specific meditative techniques that you know we're cultivating skills. I was very lucky to be exposed to teachers who teach a skill-based approach to meditation. And concentration is a skill that can be developed. So in the same way that you would progressively overload a muscle in the gym, we can progressively overload the muscle of concentration. And that's what we do in the course. Hmm. So to get back to your question, consciousness. Number two, with regard to your survival, the breath. We only get about three to five minutes without it before we expire. So if you think about it, it must be pretty important. It must be pretty close to whatever God is. It must have some secrets about the human experience, about life, about creation. And you find if you spend some time with your breath, all of those things are true. It does hold some pretty profound secrets. Just by learning to breathe functionally, you can alleviate a lot of muscular tension and nervous system stress. and You can start to feel better. Also, you can, and I know you know this to be true, you can 100% breathe your way into some peak transcendental psychedelic experiences every day at will. And so learning how to manage and leverage and be intentional with your breath, you find that, wow, I have a newfound capacity to really architect my state. I can become very, very calm, or I can become very, very amped up, or I can disappear completely and just let the self-experience go. Anyone can do this. Anyone can do this. You just have to practice. And that's what I'm about. I'm about practice. I'm not so much about theory as I am about practice. Consciousness, breath. And now we're going to have a look at sleep, the quality of your sleep. If you pay due diligence to your sleep, if you implement some evening routines and morning routines and really prioritize the quality of your sleep, you would be amazed at how many of your problems in life vanish, of how much easier it is to regulate your mood and your emotions, of how much more mental clarity and creativity you feel. And then obviously we're going to look at nutrition and hydration, and then we're going to look at movement. I find personally and professionally that if an individual checks those six boxes every day, like I said before, a lot of problems just tend to vanish. Most of our problems are a failure of self-governance. Most of our problems are born of poor lifestyle management. And so the, my message and the message in this course is personal responsibility. Have a look in the mirror and see how you're looking after yourself. Learn to take better care of yourself and watch your life bloom in ways that you didn't think was possible. This course is simple. The information is simple, but we cannot underestimate how profound simple practices can be. Yeah. Wonderful. I want to go back to one element that you mentioned, which is breath, right? So curious for you, you know, what are the practices to up-level, you know, your, or let's, let's start actually with down-regulate, down-regulate your nervous system versus up-regulating. What are some specific practices that you find useful 
around both relaxation and activation using the breath, right? For parasympathetic dominant practices, box breathing is a great one. That's just a simple four second in, four second hold, four out, four hold. Anytime that you're going to intentionally lengthen the exhale, that's going to really mm-hmm. cause a felt sense of grounding and calm. Um, with upregulation, anything that's rapid and quick, breath of fire or overbreathing intentionally breathing in more than you're breathing out and then engaging a breath hold to the point where it feels like you're oxygen starved and there's a little bit of a panic in the nervous system. It's very energizing. The thing about breath practice that I continue to discover is good breath practice, fruitful breath practice, very similar to fruitful meditation practice is it's like playing jazz. You basically, you have to learn a bunch of techniques and those techniques kind of reveal deeper layers of musculature that you can contact and then you can learn to govern and you can manipulate the breath in new ways. Eventually though, forget all about the techniques, just lay down or sit down on your pillow and just breathe. And it's almost like you're following the breath. It's like playing jazz music. You don't know where it's going. You don't know where it's taking you. You're not necessarily in control something bigger is guiding the practice but to get there you have to learn the the notes you got to play the scales yeah i remember the first time i did breath of fire right so breath of fire is an active breath where you it sounds almost like a hyperventilation right where you're you're breathing rapidly deeply quickly the diaphragm is in rapid movements to to expel and 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 move the lungs so that a massive amount of air is coming in and out quickly. And I remember, you know, 30 seconds in, my lips started tingling. My I got the lobster claws on the hands, right? Where your hands get kind of tingly mm-hmm. and, and they get the muscles just kind of seize up a little bit. And this is all normal, right? This happens in when we first start these practices. But over time, repeating these practices again and again and again over a days, weeks, months, years, the nervous system capacity in the body and just the, the body knows what to do in these situations. And you, you know, you can go to much deeper states and, yeah. uh, you know, to the point where this now is, you know, it's, it's a way to just kind of invigorate the mind, clear out the day. I will do this between sessions. I will do this, you know, kind of as needed. Totally. And, and it, it uh, it's like, it's like, getting a massive dose of just energy in my system, right? But there is this thing where at first the body doesn't quite know what to do. And then at some point, as you say, rather than breathing, we find ourselves being breathed. It's as if the breath itself is this force that will move through us. And it, when we surrender to it, um, it's exquisite. It's, It's one of my most impactful, transformative, meaningful practices that I have. I agree with you, man. You know, I've I've explored psychedelic substances and I have found that a highly concentrated mind and a full capacity breath to be the most psychedelic compounds on planet Earth. No substances required, no side effects. But, you know, that's the more transcendent side of breath practice. Mm -hmm. But like I said, we can also just look at establishing functional breathing patterns. Like Mm -hmm. if you have a look at most people, they're, they're breathe from the bottom of the sternum that's it. And they're using right. a lot of their traps to recruit it and they're breathing through their mouths. So you're not pumping the body. You know, the breath is like a biological oscillator that just wants to move everything. And so I'll often say, 
if you extrapolate the breath on a continuum and at the one extreme end, you have a panic attack. <laughs> like that short, choppy, even if I just fake it, I feel, freaks me out. And then at the other end of the continuum, you have a full capacity, like you just woke up in a beautiful beachside resort with a beautiful woman and everything is good. Like everything is just easy. What are you going to do? You're obviously going to go like this. <sighs> now there's a feeling state attached to both of those extremes. And so the inquiry for a man becomes where does my breath land on that continuum moment by moment when I'm not paying attention to it? Mm. What is the depth of my breath? Because that's going to indicate your general vibration, your feeling state. And individuals will go to therapy about anxiety or and talk out their problems. And that's useful. But if you would just learn to breathe, you would feel so much better in this moment. I've had clients tell me, man, I feel like we've made more progress in three, four months than I have in four or five years of, with my therapist. It's insane to me that professionals out there are not addressing breath, sleep, nutrition, hydration. These are the, yeah. these are the fundamentals. Yeah, yeah. Getting a deep breath, training the body about getting a, how to get a deep breath uh, will absolutely change your life. There's a way in which it definitely uh, changes mood. There's a ton of research out there about breath work and mood and oh, yeah. mood regulation and how helpful it is and how useful and how much it can help lift depression and anxiety and other things. So there's like this, the practice works on the body-mind. There's also a piece that uh, when we can get a good deep breath, we become more trustable to those around us, right? The, we become more trustable to the world because if, we're, if we are more regulated and at peace and at ease and in a relaxed yet present state, the world trusts us more. And so there's more opportunity. There's more, you know, um, yeah, there's more possibility with the world around us, the people around us if we show up trustable in that way. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So let's, so that's breath. There was this other piece that you mentioned that I, I would love to explore a little bit with you, which is cold exposure or cold and heat exposure. Mm -hmm. And I know this is like an element of your masculine vitality model. And I'm wondering if you can say a word about that, both like, how do you do that? How do you expose yourself to cold and heat? And then what is the benefit? What's that experience? Well, there's a lot of benefits in a few different categories, like physically, contrast therapy, hot, cold. And the best way to do it is to have a sauna and a cold tub. Not everyone, that's not realistic for everybody, but even if you just have a hot shower and a cold shower, the best way to, to do cold exposure if you're a beginner is to take a cold shower every morning. So here's how that's going to help you. Number one, you're not going to want to do it. There's going to be part of you that would much rather have a hot shower in the morning. And you're, you're going to start to govern that part of you that would rather not do hard things and take control of it or gently coax it into doing hard things. And you convince yourself that, oh, I can do hard things. I can do things that are challenging and it actually feels better. So from the, from the standpoint of cultivating discipline or developing mindset, that's, that's useful. Mm. But physiologically, yes. getting in a cold shower is going to, it's going to, Close your cardiovascular tree. So the arterial network that goes from your heart all throughout your body is going to feel that cold and start to um, constrict the arteries, blood vessels, veins. And then as you get out of the cold shower and accept outside warmth, that arterial tree is going to open up wider to accept warmth. So every day you're getting this vasoconstriction, vasodilation. That's going to promote heart health. That's going to lower your blood pressure. That's going to create a general ease of well-being. And 
for the fellows listening, it's going to improve the strength of your erections because what is that other than blood flow? Also, you get a nice little dump of neurochemicals when you expose studies show that three to five minutes a day of cold exposure will amplify and increase the body's production of serotonin, neuroepinephrine, and dopamine, which are the feel-good, happy hormones. So it's incredibly invigorating. And when you do it in, in, in the morning, you're going to um, up-level the stress hormone cortisol, which is you want that to be peaking from like 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. So you're awake in the morning. And then as the day goes on, cortisol starts to drop and your body starts to produce melatonin. So it'll, it'll improve your sleep hygiene. And what we find is in this course, everything starts to build on everything else. Oh, if I can concentrate my mind and focus on my breath, I can learn to breathe deeper. If I learn to breathe deeper, I can calm down and sleep better. If I get in a cold shower in the morning, I'll be, have more energy in the morning. So I'll sleep better at night. If I sleep better at night, waking up well-rested, I'm less stressed. I'm less likely to make a poor decision with food. If I eat well, I have more energy. I have more mental clarity. I'm likely to get to the gym. If I get to the gym, I'm going to sleep better. So it's like you start, it's all a positive feedback loop. And then all of a sudden, six months go by and somebody looks at you and says, God damn, man, what have you been doing? And you say, oh, I've just been following the rules that are for human beings that no one else is following, by the way. Look around. People are not doing so well. So to be healthy nowadays is a, is a radical revolutionary act, and I think it's the real revolution. Oh, you're here, man. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy, right? There's a thing about um, any time I put myself in cold water, there's always a moment where I'm like, fuck, do I really want to do this? And there's something about stepping into that discomfort that trains the mind, that tightens up the one sense of, of resolve or stick with itness. I mean, there's all the health benefits that you mentioned, but I find one of the main benefits is like I can do hard things. Like yes. I can, if I can in the morning or just anytime during the day get in cold water, there's a certain that that has ripples throughout the rest of the day or throughout the week around being able to do other difficult things. And I have to say, I've been getting in cold water for many years now as much as I can. And I haven't regretted it once yet. Not once. <laughs> Never once have I regretted getting in cold water, e- even though most of the time I don't want to fucking do it. So, yeah. How did you get started? I mean, are any any moments? How did I get started with cold exposure practice? So, yeah. Wim Hof, the, the guru, this was years ago. Wim Hof did his first podcast on Joe Rogan. And uh, I didn't really, I don't really listen to Joe Rogan at that time, but I had like eight different people who didn't even know each other contact me and said, yo, I just heard about this dude, Wim Hof, and I don't know why, but I feel like I need to tell you that you need to listen to this man. And so <laughs> once the eighth person told me, I was like, all right, I'm going to check this out. And dude, I listened to it. And then I went straight to the Wii Spa in Koreatown and got in the cold tub. And then I went straight from there to cryotherapy place. And I don't know, man, there was something so infectious and charismatic about Wim Hof and the way he speaks and just um he's just he's a he's a he's a ball of energy who's living what he's talking about and so i started to just regularly you know take cold shower and i was living right by the ocean it was in the winter time so i would go and i was doing the breath practice i took the i took wim hof's online course and became an instructor eventually i mean and then if you zoom out a few years after that i was in poland with him as for an instructor training but I can remember those first few weeks, the first six weeks of daily cold exposure and daily breath practice. I literally felt like 
a wild stallion that had been released from captivity back into the wild. Mm. I was feeling so much energy moving through me. My eyes opened up wider. There would be times when I was walking to like the grocery store and I would just start sprinting. Not because I said, oh, I should get a workout in. I should maybe run. It would just, my body would just run. I started to really feel alive and it was like really profound how how my chi, my energy started to kick up. So yeah, and like I said, then years later, I went to Poland. This was right before COVID. And I had the good fortune to live and practice with Wim Hof and some other students for like five, six days up in the mountains there. And it was, it was, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And the thing about amazing. him is like, you know, there's a plenty of people and books you can read about the scientific benefits of cold exposure and breath practice. And the funny thing is Wim Hof's maybe not the guy to tell you any of them. He just does it. And then I've been in lectures with him in the room and somebody who's he, who he has hired is giving a scientific presentation about whatever, off-gassing CO2. And Wim Hof will stand up and say, oh, can I say something? And the guy's like, oh, of course you can say something. This is, you, this is all for you, bro. And he's like, listen up, motherfuckers. And he just starts. Now, next thing we know, we're all beating our chest. He's playing the guitar. Like, that's what that guy's about. Yeah. He didn't set out to uh, be this great breath teacher. That stuff just orchestrated itself around him as a testament to the depth of his practice. Amazing. Incredible. I, I remember one of the first times I got in super cold water, I was, let's see, I was teaching shadow work in Moscow, Russia. So it's like 15 years ago. And it was actually outside. It was in Sergev Pasad, which is this, like, there's a big monastery there and it's like, there's a holy site. And a group of Russians invited me to go to this sacred a site, the spring. It was a place where the legend is that the saint, this like Orthodox saint, put his staff into the soil in the middle of this field and outsprung this this spring of, of water, right? And I was there in December, right around the winter solstice. And so the days were about, you know, it was like, I don't know, six hours of daylight. <laughs> and I just remember driving across this for like miles across these like frozen bouncing potato fields you know it was like very rural area and and you know we get to this this sacred site of this spring and there's like literally like ice around all the water that they're chipping off and they they say like you're you're the guest here get in you have the honors go first you know oh, yeah. and uh it was so cold oh my god was it cold and you know, I was, this was before I was doing regular cold exposure, but I just remember getting in and like, had I not been a, you know, an honored guest and invited to like experience this cultural tradition, I definitely would not have done it, but I felt obliged. Right. Right. And got in and I just felt the whole contraction of my body. Right. And I just, I dunked quickly and I got out and I just noticed though, as I started to like get my clothes back on that this cold Russian air on the outside was not so cold anymore. And I felt that fire inside of me, like take stoke itself, like that inner flame. Hell yeah. And my body just kind of naturally regulated itself. And this is in the dead of winter in a, you know, in like just windy, cold Russia. And it was a very notable experience for me because I was cold before I got in the water. And then when I came out, I was not. And there was a, there was this mental clarity that happened. And it was a very, 
yeah, it was a very illuminating experience for me. So another a side effect of cold exposure practice, and you remind me of a story. I'll just say, say it quickly. But before I went to Poland with Wim Hof, and I knew that I was going to be getting into some pretty gnarly cold exposure practices, I'd been getting in the ice bath, but this was like a mountain springs in Poland, winter Poland. But I was on a hiking trip with some friends in Breckenridge, Colorado, and we walked. it was the winter. And we walked past this like stream lake, and I was just like, I got to get in there. I couldn't deny that I've got to get in there. And so I did get in. Long story short, I did get in. I got down to my underwear. None of my friends got in with me. I wasn't, I didn't know what was going to happen. But to your point, I got out. I saw my pile of clothes when I got out and I was, I stayed in for a couple of minutes and I saw my pile of clothes and my body, the intelligence of my body, not my brain said, don't put those clothes back on. Do not put them on. And I just went with it. So I did the rest of the hike in my Speedo, glove, hats, boots, and wet Speedo. And I was fine. I felt great. And so like the the thing that starts to land is, oh, maybe my body isn't as weak as modern culture teaches me to believe it is. Maybe I don't need to wash my hands 12 times a day. Maybe I can do hard things. Maybe I'm a byproduct of ancestors who were eking out survival against the harsh conditions who fought and survived. And that's why I'm here. And maybe their blood is my blood. Maybe I'm a warrior. You know, that's what the cold will teach you. But to circle back, the reason, I didn't know this at the time, but the reason that my body told me not to put on those clothes is because the best thing you can put on when you get out of the cold water into cold air is like a bear skin or a poncho. But you wouldn't want to put on like traditional Western garments where my arms are separated from my torso, my legs are separated from each other because that's, mm. that's making your body harder to warm up because your body wants to be together. I didn't know that at the time. But the intelligence of my body did because I had a visceral no reaction to my clothes. Mm. And so I warmed up more efficiently without clothes than I would have with the clothes that I had. Wow. Incredible. So yeah, there's so much kind of, I mean, this is quintessential vitality, right? So like we can really feel the, the life force that's present after experiences like this. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about sexual virility and, and potency and like What's the relationship between some of these other elements of vitality and sexual potency in men or any specific practices around sexual potency that you, when we think about vitality, I think, you know, this is an important ingredient for many men. Yeah. So here's the deal. Sexual health and health are the same thing. The, mm -hmm. the modifications, the practices, the lifestyle that you would want to implement to become healthy is the very same as it, if you wanted to become sexually healthy. For some reason, because our priorities are so jacked up, dudes don't care so much about their health, but they care about their sexual health. Mm. So I can tell a guy, okay, you're going to decrease your baseline of stress, which is going to make your heart work less hard, which is going to prolong your life if you do 10 minutes of meditation every day and take a cold shower and do breath work. Okay, cool. Not going to do it. Okay, you're going to have stronger erections and your mind, you'll, you'll have a greater capacity to concentrate on your lovemaking, to pour the totality of your presence into the moment and thereby bloom your woman open into orgasms that she's never had and you've never witnessed. Oh, wait, 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 what? What kind of breath practice do I have to do? <laughs> <laughs> so it's the same. But I think that if you approach these things, it's like, okay, 
Becoming a skilled meditator will improve your capacity to talk to and attract women as a consequence. But if you engage meditation practice so that you can, as some fucking pickup strategy for women, it's not going to work that way. So all of these practices that we go over the course of 12 weeks are going to just as an inevitable consequence, increase your libido, increase your testosterone, increase your sex drive, and increase your sexual performance. But we don't approach it like, okay, this is a class about sex, because it's not. Mm. It's a class about life. It's a class about health, and sex and and sexual health is a part of that. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's great. What it, yeah, so what's the role then of like hormone balance in men or like any any elements around testosterone that you, you know, I'm just curious your point of view about like, what are some things that men could do that improve their general health, but also, you know, help regulate their hormones? Yeah. So it's everything that we already talked about. Mm -hmm. Have you ever noticed? Well, first of all, cortisol is the stress hormone that deep, that crushes testosterone. Mm -hmm. Have you ever noticed you know, Luke, but also just for the listeners, have you ever noticed that you can totally think your way into a very stressful feeling? You can think your way into an awful feeling state. You can remove yourself from the neutrality of the present moment and create some doomsday scenario that has no basis in reality, but will nonetheless generate stress, which will deplete your testosterone. So if you learn how to concentrate, if you learn how to prevent the mind from wandering, if you learn how to cultivate and intentionally generate positivity, You'll have less stress, thereby increased testosterone. We talked about earlier, the depth of a man's breath is constantly sending a signal to your nervous system about how safe you are. If you have a habitual shallow breath, then there's a low-lying constant anxiety because your body doesn't feel that it's nourished. If you learn how to breathe deeper, you'll have less stress, thereby you'll amplify your capacity to produce testosterone. Sleep is the same. If you're not well rested, you're going to be stressed. If you are well rested, you're not going to be stressed. Now the big one is nutrition. Okay, because the standard American diet, the food products that pass as nutrition for most people is poison. It's chemically processed, sugar packed, chemically preserved junk that is wreaking havoc on male hormones. It's feminizing men. It's junk. Even if, even if you are eating healthy foods like uh, eggs, chicken, red meat, things like that, you have to look at where did they come from? You know, factory farmed sick animals that are pumped full of antibiotics that never see the sunlight. You can't expect to be healthy eating sick food. So you start to realize that if you eat real food, you know, that food is not just calories, it's not just energy, but it's information. And the problem in the modern era is that the food that's available to us speaks a language that our bodies don't understand. And it creates mm -hmm. all manner of problems when we're not eating real food. Principle among them is just a, a blunted, dull, low testosterone kind of sluggish affect. Yeah. And if you eat real food, you start to feel alive. Mm, yeah. All right. Question for you. You can only live off of five foods. Michael Holt, what are the five foods you eat? That's a good question. Butter, salmon, avocado, chicken. I don't know, maybe fruit. Specific fruit? If you had to pick one? Pineapple. Pineapple. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Well, wait a minute, man. You just hit, you just put a gun to my head and said, pick five foods. <laughs> I'm not... 
By the way, here's 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 my five. It's so funny. I was I was doing this as you were doing it. So I also would go salmon first, avocado second. I would do butter. I personally would do grass-fed organic beef, and I would do honey. Those would uh, be my th- five. Those are good too. Yeah, I thought about beef, but I'm big on gut health, and I've done some metrics on the state of my gut, and beef doesn't really agree with me at this point. I do believe that it's a highly nutritious superfood. It's just for me right now, it's it's a no-go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is the thing, right? Like everybody, everybody, every's, everybody's body is different. Yes. And there is a bit of, there's not going to be one universal five. But, you know, I do think it's an interesting prompt to get a sense of like, what are, you know, what are, what's a vitality expert? What it, What's his go-to, right? So, yeah. And that's the thing too. It's uh, food is, has such a profound effect on vitality, on mood, on overall well-being. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obvious, but for most people, there's so much variability in their diet that, I mean, there's like junk food or you don't know what you're going to eat on a given day. You're just basically just going out into the world and say, okay, well, maybe. to me, I spend so much time preparing, planning, shopping for my meals. Like it's such a foundation. It's, it's crazy Same. to me to just uh, wing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you start to simplify your diet and eat real food, you, then you start to really be able to detect uh, pretty instantly which foods really work for you. Because you said earlier, and you're right, everybody is different. So based on your heritage, based on your microbiome, based on a whole bunch of things that are unique to you, there's going to be specific foods that you're very efficient at turning into energy that just work for you. And there's going to be foods that don't work for you. You get to upset your, your flow for whatever reason. But when you start to simplify your diet, you start to identify what they are. Holy shit, I feel so good. I'm having such a great day. Oh my God, I'm having one of those days where I'm just moving down through the to-do list. What did I eat yesterday? You know? So then you can start mm-hmm. to say, okay, okay, this is what I ate yesterday. All right, I'm going to start working these in more. Today, I feel, I don't know, my stomach feels a little off. I feel like I'd rather just take a nap. I feel a little bit overwhelmed. What's going on today? What did I eat yesterday? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So then you can start to architect nutritional protocol that's specific to you. But when there's so much variability, you don't know, it's hard to tell how exactly food is affecting your productivity, vitality, well-being. Here, here, brother. So I get very curious, where does the passion for vitality come from in you? Like, tell us a bit of your origin story. Why is this important to you? It's, it's such a gift to the world, what you're doing, right? Like bringing consciousness around these elements. I just get curious, like, you know, why? Why is this your, your work in the world? That's a good question, man. Maybe you should have thought about that. <laughs> um, well, you know, I'm totally motivated by my own suffering in my work. You know, the, the, the path that I've taken and the inquiries that I've taken have been solely to help me manage my own self and suffer less. And over the course of time, you know, a lot of it has worked and worked pretty well. So mm-hmm. there, I can look back on the earlier chapters of my life and see where I was overweight, depressed, really struggling, and also completely ignorant as to what is health and what is required mm-hmm. to be healthy. Because our culture is largely ignorant around that. So I, I sought out teachers and courses and classes and I made some changes. And over the course of time, I just started to look better, feel better, vibe higher. And I just want to share that with people. I mean, also, I mean, that's the selfless part of it. Mm-hmm. The selfish part of it is I want to keep studying this stuff that costs money. So want to be paid to do what I would be doing anyway. I love this stuff. I love researching it. I love experimenting with my own self. I love 
learning more. And so I'm in a process of, okay, I'm going to charge you to teach you what I know while I'm paying him. So he teaches me what he knows. And it's just, that's, <laughs> that's how it continues to go. Yeah. Wonderful. And I'm just curious if there have been notable people, teachers, who has influenced you in this journey or experiences? Yeah, a lot of experiences and a lot of great teachers who I, when I look back, I think, God damn, I'm the luckiest man alive that I just happen to stumble upon these teachers and not only just like hear them give a talk once or read a book by them, but actually like get to spend real time and get to know some of them. But in the meditation world, Shinzen Young has been a primary influence of mine. Also, George Haas, who's a Shinzen student who introduced me to Shinzen. He's a great teacher. And the late, great Dan Brown, who was just the most amazing person. Uh, I remember when I first, I did a retreat with him. The first time I met him was up in Mount Madonna in like 2017, 2018. And I never saw it modeled before to be a fucking ferocious compassionate bodhisattva that dude was ferocious may he rest in peace and i still feel his presence to this day every day but i you know there's this unfortunate connotation of a meditation teacher needs to be all namaste light as a feather that dude had balls the size of boulders he didn't take any guff he demanded a lot from his students but he was so sweet soft loving compassionate i was like oh you can be both you can be both so, and the, the unique thing about those three teachers, you know, in the Western Dharma world is they're all enlightenment-based teachers. They're they're not teaching stress reduction. They're not, they're teaching liberation. And they're mm-hmm. of the opinion that it's possible in this very lifetime. And then in the health and wellness space, I think uh, Paul Check is a primary influence of mine and he's become a great friend and mentor. But mm-hmm. so I, I was deep into the fitness world. I was working as a fitness professional. I was also a martial art competitor, martial art teacher. And I was exploring meditation. And then Paul Check occurs to me as the individual who's really bringing together physical health, even strength, weight training as a spiritual discipline. My life was compartmentalized with, okay, there's my physical health and there's my spiritual practice. And he really creates this curriculum or has created this unique curriculum where it's the same thing. And that's really the way I live it. And that's the way I I carry it. And that's the way I share it now. It's the same thing beautifying your body, caring for your body, evoking the greatest strength of which it is capable as a way to honor your creator is a spiritual practice. You know, your breakfast is a spiritual practice. Your workout is a spiritual practice. It's just as spiritual, which is a word I don't even really love, as is meditation, as, as is prayer. It's the same. That's really, that's the warrior's way to build this thing uh, mm. as as a way to honor the creator. That is the warrior's way. One of the challenges that you presented to me in our men's group was, I want to ask you about it a bit now here. I studied martial arts and done a lot of, a lot of martial arts I know. And um, you thought that Brazilian jiu-jitsu would be good for me. The idea of getting like pinned, right? And I was just curious about that. Like, you know, why that recommendation to me? I don't know if you remember this, but um, yeah, yeah. why that recommendation and what is it about that form of needing to kind of surrender, you know, or, or like, you know, getting pinned specifically or, or getting wrapped up that what is the kind of spiritual benefit of that or the psychological benefit or even the somatic benefit of, of that particular martial art? Well, without being too specific to, to jujitsu, I would say that the utility 
for a man to explore martial art generally is that it is a safe container for a very natural aggression that all men carry. Some hmm. carry more of it than others. Um, and if you're not creating a place where that can be expressed, then it's inevitably going to leak out sideways in all kind of unconscious ways, or it's going to reverberate back on you. So, and specifically with jujitsu, you occur to me as a very cerebral individual, very disciplined individual, and people with those capacities tend to do well in jujitsu because it, I mean, all martial art really, and all fighting mm -hmm. sports at the end of the day are thinking man's game. Mm. But, you know, you honestly don't recall telling you that you should be pinned down. I think that was another individual in the group. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, and I know who it was. But I did, I did also recommend that, yeah, you should, you should find, uh, uh, I think all men should. Mm -hmm. um, and people always ask me all the time, I get so many emails, yo, I'm thinking about a martial art, what should I do? Well, you should do a Google search and go to the closest martial art gym that's there. Whatever they're teaching, start there. And you're either going to like it or you're going to learn that you don't like it and it's going to lead you to the next one. But for a lot of guys, it's paralysis by analysis or they're waiting. Who's the best teacher? Well, you don't know shit. So any teacher is going to be better than you. So just start Hell there. Yeah. Just get out yeah. there and, and learn. That's what I did. I knew that I wanted to learn. And so I went to a whole bunch of different schools and some of them sucked. But then eventually I found the one. I was like, oh, wow, this is it. I think this is really important advice, right? So it, specifically the advice is pick the gym or pick the dojo that's closest to your house. I've actually just done this recently. For the first time in my life, I hired a personal trainer and I searched high and wide, got on phone calls and Zoom calls with people all over. And, like, and I found a guy that's literally a six minute drive from my house and is a badass and I can be there in six minutes and be back at my house in 45 minutes and I can get a 30 minute super fucking intense workout in where I just am like getting worked by a pro and I'm home in 45 minutes and I can yeah. go three times a week. And that has changed my life, man. And I think that, you know, so I just personally, that's solid advice around how you generate a bit of momentum like, like we opened with, right? Around, around some discipline is Make it convenient. Make it accessible. Yeah, if you got to think about barriers to entry, if you find a, the world, the best gym in the world that's a fifty-minute drive, and you got to look for parking, you're not going to go. Mm. You know, mm. low barriers to entry. People, I, you'd be surprised how many emails I get because people, I'd like to write about martial art and the metaphors between martial art and spiritual practice. So people always say, "Which art should I practice, or who should I, or what advice do you have?" Here's my advice. Just get started. Mm. Just find a gym yeah. and show up. Okay? Mic drop. That's it. And even <laughs> even you writing this email was another way for you to procrastinate on actually doing it. Mm. Ah, this this is the warrior way right here <laughs> with my with my friend Michael Holt. Michael, if people want to find you, if they want to work with you, where do we point them? I think what you should do is go to my website, savageandsaint.com. There will be a pop-up there. You can subscribe to my newsletter. You'll get a newsletter once a week, and you can read a few articles. And if you vibe with it, then you'll be in the know, and you'll be in the flow. And if you don't vibe with it, then uh, cancel your subscription, and our paths will never cross. But I do intentionally write from my heart about what I think and where I'm at, and I'm not trying to please everybody. I'm trying to find my people. So if you're one of them, you'll know, and if you're not, you'll know. You can also hit me on Instagram, Savage and Saint. And uh, yeah, so Instagram, Savage and Saint and SavageandSaint.com.
great. And we'll throw those links in the show notes. Definitely give Michael a follow on Instagram. He's a great follow. He puts up some really good, inspiring content that'll have you feeling inspired about this warrior's path. Let me just say too, Luke, uh, Masculine Vitality is going to begin August 7th. It's a 12-week online men's course, Monday nights, 6.30 to 8 uh, Pacific Standard Time. So you can find information for that on the website or you can email me, schedule a 20-minute call. Great. If you're interested in that, head on over. It's starting very soon. So thank you, my friend. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom and some of that warrior spirit, some of that vitality rubbing off on me and the Crazy Wisdom audience. This is Michael Holt. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Crazy Wisdom. If you like what you heard, please do rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen. This helps new people find the show. And maybe more importantly, it helps us grow our crazy wisdom community. My hope for you is between now and the next time you listen, that you try one new thing, one thing that would help you live a life of deeper purpose, deeper meaning, a life of greater love. And maybe that one thing is a little different, a little odd, a little intense, perhaps even a little crazy.